Well, it's an honor. It's an honor to be with you this morning. Um, going into year 18 uh, with RUF, uh, Reform URC Fellowship in year, gosh, 13 at South Carolina. And look forward to the summers. We work on fundraising in the summers, and I get to come and do this. And it's an honor to be with you this morning. Um, what I want to look at for our sermon text this morning is Psalm 32. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read our psalm for us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let me pray for us, and I just want to spend a little bit of time thinking about uh, what I want to call gospel joy. David, I think, invites us into a, a strange paradox in Christianity, which it is in the admission of our sinfulness and the assurance of God's grace to sinners like you and me, we find deep, lasting joy. But let me pray for us first, and then we'll get into it. Let's ask the Lord's help and blessing. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Psalms that give voice and space and room uh, for all of the various seasons and feelings uh, that we experience and carry. And Lord, I pray, especially as we spend some time reflecting on this Psalm of David, this, this penitent Psalm um, of confession, that you would do what you alone can do, which is to meet us in our shame, to meet us in our guilt, and to free us in your forgiveness, and to lead us to your joy, which is the joy of your love for sinners like us. So Lord, would you bless us in this way? And we pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So I grew up in a family that was pretty into music, and I can still remember, I'm about to be 43, and so when I was around 10 or 11, my dad gave me a mixtape, and on the front was uh, a lot of tracks off of Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever, and on the back was just various Billy Joel tracks. And one of the Billy Joel tracks that I, this just really stuck with me is uh, Only the Good Die Young, where he sings, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. And I think what's interesting about Psalm 32 is David really is inviting us to cry with the saints, and he's saying to us that strangely that's where joy is found. And there are really two things I want to point out that David gives us, the gift of Psalm 32, kind of a, a double move, two movements. The first is, if we're going to know that joy, the joy of being loved, knowing our own sinfulness, but yet at the same time knowing the Lord's love for sinners, 
two things are going to have to happen. First is the admission. We see the admission of David's guilt and the admission of our own guilt. And then second, we see the assurance of God's grace. And that's just what I want to look at together for a little while this morning. First, the admission of our guilt, of our sin. David uses four words. I'm by no means a Hebrew scholar, but it's interesting that he uses four words to describe his sin. Uh, The first word he uses is transgression. It means something like a willful or deliberate rebellion. You can think of Isaiah 1, verse 2. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The way that I often think about it is, think about, if I were to ask you the question, what is the worst thing that you ever did toward your parents? Uh, Mine's pretty easy. My parents got divorced when I was in seventh grade. And in that season, my mom, I think, either became a Christian or got renewed in her faith, and she had started seeing a Christian counselor, and she wanted this angry 12-year-old who just wanted to sleep and play video games all day to come with her to see this Christian counselor, and I said no. So this, we had this one moment where she, she's really challenging me. She says, all right, get in the car. It's time to go to counseling. And I said, no, no. She said, Sammy, I'm serious. Get in the car. It's, it's time to go. And I said, no. And then she said, I'm not playing around. Again, get in the car. And, and I, I vividly remember I reached in my closet to pull out an Easton baseball bat. And I held it to my mom and I said, I'm not going anywhere. And she burst into tears and I burst into tears. And it was a moment, just a glimpse of the rebelliousness that we've had toward our father. Um, transgression, a willful or deliberate rebellion, but then he keeps going. And this is the dark, the hard part of the sermon. But he, his second word that he uses is just that word sin, which means something like to miss the mark or to fall short. Uh, if you grew up Baptist, you know uh, the Romans road of salvation, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. Uh, one of the ways that we could say it is we've not been what we should be. David in this psalm is saying he, he wasn't, I'm not the husband I should have been, the father I should have been, the leader I should have been, the believer I should have been, the king I should have been. We fall short of what we should be. And he keeps moving. That third word, iniquity, it means something like to be twisted or bent out of shape. Uh, the way that Ezekiel says it in Ezekiel 16 is, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. When I first became a Christian, C.S. Lewis became precious to me, and, and I tried, Narnia is still in all time, but I tried to do the Space Trilogy, which if you ever tried to do the Space Trilogy, it wasn't an easy hang for me. But I got just far enough to get an illustration, which for a preacher, that's really all that we need. And so there's this, in the first uh, part of the space trilogy, you meet this being, this almost Aslan-like called Oyarsa. And the the plot is that these men from Earth, these greedy men from Earth, have come to uh, take the resources of this planet and take it back to Earth to become very, very rich. And there's this scene where this great, almost Christ-like being is seeing what's happening, and he calls these, these men 
before this council, and there's a line as he's looking into their hearts and confronting them that, that Lewis uses that I think gets at what David is saying, where he's, he just looks at these men and he says, there is a bentness in the human race. The way that Martin Luther would say it is, instead of being curved outward in love to God and love to neighbor, what sin does to you and me is it curves us inward in on ourselves. Where the way that I'll say it to my kids sometimes is, it's like we have a superpower. And that superpower is to make anything and everything about us. I can make anything about me. I can make this about me. And it's part of what David is saying is I'm twisted, I'm bent out of shape. And then that fourth word he uses is deceit. It means something like duplicity or dishonesty or pretense, the way that another psalm says it in Psalm 101. The Lord says, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house, and no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. And part of what David is saying is I have been deceived, self-deceived. I've thought too highly of myself. I've thought too idolatrously about my sin. Uh, one of my favorite shows over the last 10 years is Breaking Bad, and the creator of Breaking Bad was reflecting, if you know the premise of the show, you watch this science high school science chemistry teacher, Walter White, become this really, really evil and scary uh, drug kingpin. And Vince Gilligan was reflecting on that arc because they really wrote this really well-done creative arc where you watch this seemingly innocent man become something pretty scary. And here's what he said. He said about Walter White, I don't think he's an evil man. He's an extremely self-deluded man. We always say in the writer's room, if Walter White has a true superpower, it's not his knowledge of chemistry or his intellect. It's his ability to lie to himself. He is the world's greatest liar. He could lie to the Pope. He could lie to Mother Teresa. He certainly could lie to his family, and he can lie to himself, and he can make these lies stick. He can make himself believe in the face of all contrary evidence that he is still a good man. It really does feel to us like a natural progression down this road to hell, which was originally paved with good intentions. And David is saying, that's me. The other way that we could say it is David is using four words to say one thing about himself, and that one thing is, Lord, I am a sinner. Lord, something is wrong and broken in me. It reminds me of the scene in Les Mis where Valjean breaks out into that song, Who Am I? And if you remember the story of, of Les Mis, Valjean uh, it gets caught stealing the candlesticks from the priest, but then the priest... Uh, says they are a gift and frees Valjean to go and live a reformed life. And yet Javert is still on the hunt to find Valjean. And in this moment in Les Mis, what happens is uh, Javert finds the man he thinks is Valjean. Valjean hears of it. He has gone on to reform his life. He has gone on to be a better man. And he's wrestling with, do I let this man go to prison in my place or do I go and reveal myself and we get who am I and I'm not going to sing it for us because that would not be... Good for any of us, but here's what he, I'll, I'll say it. Who am I? Here's what he says. Who am I? Can I conceal myself forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before and must my name until I die be no more than an alibi? Must I lie? Must, how can I ever face my fellow men 
How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to carry on. Who am I? And if you've seen it or read it, who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. And this is where he breaks open his shirt to reveal his prison numbers. Who am I? 24601. This is the only tattoo I've really ever wanted, but sometimes you just accept that maybe you're not a tattoo person. But he's revealing himself. And he's saying, much like the tax collector in Luke 18, God have mercy on me, the sinner. And this is the bad news. But Psalm 32 doesn't leave us there. And this is the second part, the last point I want you to see is, is David also receives, and we receive, if we dare, as Luther would say, to be the sinner, we also are met in the same way that God meets David in the assurance of God's grace. And what I love about Psalm 32, this is my favorite part of Psalm 32, is that God has four words too. That God has four words to meet David and his words to try to describe his own son. First, God forgives to remove or carry away. In Psalm 103, you know it, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In other words, he doesn't hold it over us. He doesn't lord it over us. He doesn't keep a record in that way. He forgives and removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And then second, he covers. Again, that word means something like to conceal or to provide for. I love the image that we get from the Lord in Micah 7 where it says of him, I will again have compassion on you. I will tread your iniquities underfoot. I will cast all of your sins into the depths of the sea. I grew up in Sumter, South Carolina, and when we go from Columbia to Sumter, Screaming Eagle Road, if you're familiar, is the way that I like to go. And part of why I like to go that way is usually there's not a lot of traffic and usually there aren't a lot of uh, police. But the only <laughs> downside is that you have to pass the, the landfill. And I've learned in my many years that there is no shifting your air conditioning from outside fresh air to recycled air that's going to block out the smell. And when I drive past that landfill, I think about this idea that the Lord covers our sin because here you have this landfill and, and as much trash is buried under mounds of dirt, the stench of it is still there. But then I think about Paul's words where he says about us that we are covered by the blood of Jesus in such a way that we now, belonging to him, carry the aroma of Christ. Where the smell is the smell of grace and joy and love. He covers our sin. And then third, he does not count our iniquity. He does not keep a record of it. We sometimes sing Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And in our most sober moments, we know, not me, not you. And then he does even more. And that fourth word is he, he gives in the face of our deceit, he gives us a right spirit. 
a spirit of honesty and humility. Uh, Psalm 51, the, the parallel psalm coming out of David's sin with Bathsheba. He says this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I have a friend who used to be an RUF. He's a pastor now in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He reflects sometimes on this. And he was talking one time, sharing the story of being in counseling. And he said his counselor asked him to go home and ask his wife a simple question. What is it like to be in relationship with me? I've never had the courage to do it, to do that. To ask my wife, what, what is it like to be in relationship with me? And yet part of what the Lord in his grace does in you and me is invites us into that intimacy and into that honesty and into that humility. The other way we can say it is that if David has four words to describe himself as a sinner. God has four words to say something in response to you and to me and to David. And it's simply this. It's that my grace is always greater than your sin. My grace is always greater than your and my sin. Or another way, I love the way that Charles Wesley would say it, there is always more grace in the Lord Jesus than there is sin in you and in me. And David is saying, when I, when I covered my sin, I was miserable and depressed, but when I confessed it freely to you, O Lord, you covered it, you forgave it, you carried it away, you did not keep a record, and I began to know real joy, the joy of forgiveness. And when we think about Psalm 32 and, and Jesus, perhaps as he's making his way, even as he's singing psalms, going, making his way to the cross, singing psalms, we know Psalm 22 was in his mouth. Did he get to Psalm 32? But can we, can we say that we, we know what David anticipated, which is that the Lord Jesus, he carried away our sins by carrying them to the cross. He covered them by the shedding of his own blood. He did not only not count our sin against us, but he counted his righteousness, his record of life and love and joy and healing and righteousness to you and me. And as he ascended, resurrected and ascended, he poured out his spirit, which leads us in what we just talked about, honesty and confession and humility and intimacy with the Lord and it's the gift of this psalm to you and to me. I'll, I'll close with this. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Babe. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie Babe, but I'm going to... It's been out a long time, so if I spoil it, sorry. But there's a scene... of The, the story of Babe is Farmer Hoggett raises sheepdogs to go and win top prize at the county fair every year. And this particular year, his top sheepdog gets hurt and can't do it. And there's a little pig on the farm named Babe who somehow can magically talk to other animals. And he decides that he wants to go and compete. And Farmer Hoggett agrees to this, that he's going to go compete as he's trained by these other sheepdogs to go win top prize at the county fair. But as Babe is training, he has this moment of extreme rethinking it. And what happens is he, he talks to Duck. And Duck just kind of gets in his ear and basically says, you know, babe, even if you win top prize, all you're ever going to be is bacon at Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, babe, you know, this is devastated. He runs away. 
gets caught in a rainstorm. Farmer Hoggett comes and finds him. He brings him back home. He cleans him up. If you've ever seen it, it's one of the strangest scenes as he's cleaning him. And then he begins to feed him. He's trying to nourish him back to health. And then he does this strange thing as he's caring for Babe where he starts to sing over Babe. And just about this time, all the farm animals are crowded at the farmhouse window looking at the sight. And then he goes further and he begins to dance an Irish jig over Babe. And the other animals are just glued, watching, and probably thinking what you're feeling in the movie is what kind of a farmer sings and dances over a pig. And every time I watch that scene, I think about it's a line from Brendan Manning where he says, Jesus is the only God that we have ever heard of who loves sinners. Who, who in this psalm, we are delivered with shouts of deliverance. We know, maybe you know the, the, the words of Zephaniah that the Lord sings over us in his love. And he loves you and me in this way. And it's daring to be the sinner that puts us in the place to be loved like this. And that's the invitation of Psalm 32 this morning. Let me pray for us. Our Lord, would you meet us by your Spirit in that way? Would you lead us in confession and repentance that you alone can give by your grace? Would you give us um, the hope of the gospel uh, that someone like us, carrying what we carry, knowing ourselves even a little bit, what we've done, what we continue to struggle to do or not to do, that you would assure us of your great love for us, that our shame and our guilt and our sin is no match for your joy and your love and your grace and your goodness and your perseverance with us. Uh, Lord, I don't know about my friends, but I know that I, I, need, I need that word to, to hear again that your mercies are new this morning, even if my sins feel so old. And Lord, I pray that you would meet us by, in that way as we continue to worship, as we uh, go from this place. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your great love for us. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.